Hi, I'm Joaquin Evans, co-senior leader of Bethel Austin. I pray that Jesus ministers to you through today's message and that you are blessed deeply. If you're encouraged, please like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our weekly sermons. Enjoy the message. I know that this feels like the series that never ends, but we are still covering the Beatitudes. And right now we are about to cover the sixth Beatitude. Uh, We've already covered five. So we're going to do another one tonight, and then that leaves two more to go. Um, But I'm excited for this one. This one's a little bit different than the other ones. But we're going to start with a declaration. I like to start our morning off intentional, focusing our mind on the Word so that we don't just leave staying the same, right? That we're transformed by the Word of God. So we're going to say this together. Is it good? All right, let's go. I love my Bible. I believe that it is the Word of God. I believe I am who He says I am. I believe in its power to transform my life. I know that God will meet me in these pages. My heart is open to receive, and I boldly declare I will never be the same. Amen. Do I sound like I'm in a tunnel? I feel like I'm in a tunnel. That's okay. We can have fun with that. Okay, so let's pray for me. (laughs) Just extend your hands towards me. (laughs) Just say, help her, Lord, in Jesus' name. (laughs) God, we thank you. We just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. And as Jahi mentioned, we thank you for the liberty that we have to worship together. And God, this morning, even if this topic is a little uncomfortable, God, I ask that you would just meet us, that you would meet us in the midst of this, God, as we listen, as we learn, as we lean in to what you're saying and to what is happening around the globe. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I may have to switch to a handheld. I'll see how I go. It might sound way better for you guys, but to me, I'm like, woo. And it's not the caffeine. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Okay. So we are covering the Beatitudes, as I mentioned And really, each of these Beatitudes is filled with so much beauty and complexity that I'm only able to really scratch the surface in our time together, in this small amount of time together. And so I want to implore you to go home and to study this passage of Scripture. It is the promises that Jesus himself taught us and what we need to do, how we need to be, the attitudes in which we are to embody in order to obtain those promises. Amen. So it's important for us as believers to not only know this passage of Scripture, but to live it and to get it into our lives. Amen. Because I tell you, this only has power when it's lived out in your life. So let's take what we read and do something with it. Amen. Amen. Okay, pop quiz. We've covered five, so I'm going to begin these Beatitudes and you can finish them for me, okay? 
Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall... Yes, good job. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall... And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God or children of God. And again, I'm really sorry for all my A-type people. We did jump in at like 5.5 five instead of 5.3 at the beginning of this passage, but next time we'll circle back and get the first two that we missed. So today we are covering Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, persecution will often go hand in hand with us living out these beatitudes in our life. And I want to incorporate the next two verses as well because the next two verses, verses 11 and 12, they really bookend, they finish, they summarize, they give extra hope for us and encouragement to us at the end of this list of beatitudes. And I believe the reason why 11 and 12 were added is because Jesus knows that if you live these eight Beatitudes, there will be persecution. And so in 11, he said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. When they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Be exceedingly glad because great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I love how that says in the Passion Translation 10 through 12, how enriched you are when persecuted for doing what is right. For then you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How blessed you are when people insult you and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy, since your heavenly reward is great, for you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. The character traits in the Beatitudes aren't super popular or valued by our modern culture. I mean, there's no prize for the most pure in heart. There's no prize for the most meek, for the most poor in spirit, they are counterculture to the day and age and the reality of this world. And though our culture doesn't think much of these character traits, they are character traits that define citizens of heaven, which is you and I. Amen? And the world persecutes those who dare to live according to these Beatitudes. Because the values and character expressed in these beatitudes are opposite. Our persecution may not be much compared to others. But we have to ask ourselves the question, if no one speaks evil of you, are these beatitude traits alive in your life? If we ever face persecution, if we never face persecution, then are we living a life that looks different from the world? In 2 Timothy 3:12 it says, "Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." 
Those words will be translated means will be, <laughs> not maybe. Those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And so I think it's good to take mental note every now and, now and then of when was the last time you were persecuted? And is that a reflection of how much God is coming through your life? I know, I know, I know, guys. <laughs> Jesus brings insult and spoken malice into the sphere of persecution. And in verse 11, when he uses the word revile, that word revile means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. And in this passage, he is not just limiting our idea of persecution to only physical opposition or torture. But today I want to look at both. The physical side of persecution, because quite simply, it is rampant in our world. And we must, as believers, not turn a blind eye simply because it is too uncomfortable to our luxury of being a Western believer. And let me tell you, it is a luxury. Right now, you sitting in this place, you gathering with other believers and worshiping Jesus is a luxury. And I think it's vital for believers everywhere to have a pulse on the reality of what persecution looks like for the non-Western believer. I want us to also look at the side of persecution that you and I are most likely to endure for our faith. And it's because we take a stand for Jesus, we most likely will face hate. We most likely will face opposition in the way of cruel remarks and malice. Rejection, lies, insults, just to name a few. But I just want to point out here, before we get started, that it does not say, blessed are you when you do stupid things or make bad decisions. <laughs> it is righteousness that we are blessed to be persecuted for. Living our lives for Jesus, not running our mouths for our own opinion because we will get persecution from both, but we better be clear on which one you will be blessed for. <laughs> Once we cover the two most common ways in which a believer will encounter persecution, we're gonna talk about the promise that the kingdom of heaven is for those who are persecuted. And we're going to talk about the joy that can only be found in the midst of persecution. The intimacy that is created when we partake of the sufferings of Christ. I venture to say this is not the most popular beatitude. In fact, I think it's probably the most uncomfortable, maybe least popular out of the eight. And in a way, it's not my intention to bring offense, but I have to be honest, it is my intention to make you a little bit uncomfortable this morning. 
As I was preparing for this message, I was reading and watching videos of testimonies for hours upon hours of people who are in the persecuted church around the world. And can I tell you, I just kind of wanted to switch it off and put on Netflix because it was a whole lot easier to numb out to what is happening than it was to sit in a place of being uncomfortable. And when you hear of the descriptions that these brothers and sisters, and that's what they are to us, amen, brothers and sisters in Christ endure for their faith, then it makes you uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable. Okay. We've got to step into the shoes of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. It creates empathy within us. It creates gratitude. It should create gratitude within us. And it pulls us into a place of intercession for the church. One of the things that drives me crazy (laughs) is consumer Christianity. See, I think sometimes in our Western culture and even the generations that are coming up now, they have the spirit of entitlement that the world or God owes them something. And this is a great place a great scripture to camp out in if we ever suffer from that entitlement spirit. A great place to study, to recalibrate our faith that it is only by the goodness, mercy, and grace of God that you have anything good in your life. I said to Joaquin, who was here last night? Y'all, I, I streamed it from a, a link that we had and I was listening to the testimonies and it was incredible. I could feel it through the screen, the excitement and just the presence of God in this place. I mean, there was a testimony of a young lady who was healed of a brain tumor and leukemia. I mean, come on. A brain tumor and leukemia. She was healed. Come on. I said to Joaquin when he got home, it looks like you had a party last night and I'm having major FOMO. (laughs) One of my kids was sick, so I was at home. And I was like, man, I feel like this morning's message is kind of going to be a cold bucket of water in the face after your party last night. (laughs) So in a way, I apologize, and in another way, I don't. But But in all that we will talk about, and no matter how uncomfortable we may feel, the end of this beatitude is the promise that the kingdom of heaven is ours. So we have to remember the promise in the moments of being uncomfortable. And there is an invitation on the other side of persecution that will experience, allow us to experience a deep, profound joy to know Christ to an extent that we cannot know him outside of persecution and suffering. And as hard as it is to say, I know for my life, 
I'm not there yet, I'll be honest. But for my life, I want to be like the Apostle Paul, where I welcome persecution and not try to navigate around it. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 7 through 11, but whatever I gain, whatever I gain, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know the fellowship of his sufferings is the persecution we suffer trying to live a righteous life. And it is what the Bible calls suffering for righteousness sake. Look, I can't promise you that you're going to leave here this morning excited for the impending persecution. <laughs> I can't say that. But I do pray that there will be a shift in our hearts and our minds that will give us hope and a courage to live a life of righteousness that is worthy of persecution. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about physical persecution and the persecuted church. I'm going to read a lot of information. Um, I actually had to take out a lot of things because they were too graphic. Um, and I know that sometimes there are kids in the room and people are at different stages. And so I'm trying my best to show you the impact without completely overwhelming you. But trust me, when you read the details, it's overwhelming. Here are some statistics. More than 350 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith today. That's more than the population of America. Every two hours, a Christian is killed for their faith. That was one when you walked in, it'll be one when you walk out. Every day, every month, every year. More than 70 million Christians have been martyred in the course of history. One in eight Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. Every month, 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. There are roughly 800 churches here in Austin and the surrounding areas. So within four months, that would be every single church in this region wiped out. Persecution of Christians has reached the highest level since the World Watch List began 30 years ago. The World, World Watch List is a list of 50 countries of the most persecuted Christians. And they did, they started gathering statistics 30 years ago. And right now, it is at an all-time high. 
the topmost 11, the 11 most persecuted countries that fall into the category of extreme levels of persecution are Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, India, and Saudi Arabia. Nigeria's rise by two place into the top 10 is just one sign of the rising tide of jihadist violence in the region. Colleges, schools, churches, villages, and community leaders continue to be targeted for kidnappings, killings, injuries, and destruction of livestock and livelihoods, especially by Fanali militants, as well as known jihadist groups such as Boko Haram and the Islamic State of West Africa province. I'm going to read a couple of stories, an excerpt from an article that I read. And again, this is where I've left out some of the details. Back in April, this was written in 2021, Back in April, when armed men began attacking his village in the middle of the night, a pastor of a local church in northern Mozambique woke his family to flee. He took his two older sons and his wife took their two younger sons. In the midst of chaos and confusion, shouting and shooting, they escaped in two different directions. The pastor and his sons hid in the surrounding bush all night before returning to the village to look for the rest of their family. The next morning, he found their hut caved in and the remains of his four-year-old son. And I will not go into the description of how they found him. All he and his sons could do was dig a hole in the ground to bury the young boy's body and weep together. And to this day, his wife and second youngest son are still missing. Instead of leaving the area and prioritizing their own safety, many local pastors and national believers are staying in the province to serve among their fellow survivors. In nearby villages and makeshift camps set up throughout the region, these faith leaders are partnering with a handful of ministries, missionaries, and Christian humanitarian organizations to distribute food, supplies and farming kits, as well as pray with people, preach the gospel, and hand out thousands of solar-powered audio Bibles to all who ask. And in the midst of unthinkable crisis, the report that thousands are coming to faith in Christ. Thousands. From within these camps and villages, pastor after pastor shared their testimony. One quoted Psalm 23 saying, as he and his family walked past dead bodies on either side of them, they found comfort in the line. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Yet another pastor who has lost everything said, they can burn our houses, they can burn our food, but they cannot burn Jesus out of me. Those statistics are from an organization called Open Doors International. And there are many ministries and incredible organizations that are doing a great job at serving the persecuted church. Voice of the Martyrs is another one. 
And brother Andrew, who actually started the, was the founder of Open Doors International. He was a Dutchman. He actually passed away in September of last year, but an incredible man whose ministry serves over 60 nations and people and churches that are in the persecuted church. He said this, we are called to change the world so that every Christian has enough liberty to worship according to the Bible. We don't deserve our freedom. We have it by God's grace and for a purpose, to care for and strengthen other members of the body of Christ who are suffering. And most of these stories that I was hearing and listening to, the craziest thing was that these people were not asking for the suffering to end. They were asking for greater faith. They were asking for endurance and strength. They were asking for courage. How opposite of the Western culture that we live in. In our Western culture, when we lose a job or we lose a home, maybe we get a bad diagnosis, the first thing we question is God. Yet the people in persecuted nations who have been displaced time and time again, those who have lost everything, their safety, their security, their families, the first thing they will tell you is about Jesus and how he is worth it all. A Chinese believer once said, Persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. The first is materialism. I'm going to say that one more time. (laughs) Persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. The first is materialism. The CEO of Open Doors Australia said, I have seen many survive persecution, but I've seen very few survive prosperity. And as far as persecution and the gospel goes, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And here is why I believe just a few reasons that it's important for us to know and be aware of what is happening And the first is this, so that we can pray. And I want to encourage you with these two quotes. One of them is a quote that I tell myself all the time. One of them is from Brother Andrew again. He says, our prayers can go where we cannot. There are no borders, no prison walls, no doors that are closed to us when we pray. And this is one of my favorite quotes by Ann Voskamp. She says, prayer isn't the least that we can do. Prayer isn't all we can do. Prayer is the most that we can do. So I want to encourage you to pray because it makes a difference. It will go where maybe your physical bodies cannot go. It will cross borders. It will cross denominations. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Two, I think that it rids us of entitlement and moves us into a place of radical 
gratitude. So that our empathy and compassion are ignited. Their faith should inspire and ignite love and greater resolve to stand boldly for the gospel. See, sometimes we'll leave church because we're offended. They have to leave the church because it's been burnt down. Sometimes we're mad at God. So instead of grit and perseverance, we turn around and we walk away. It is my hope that as we listen to these stories, that it will ignite perseverance, boldness, and faith in us. Amen? Amen. And five, to put our suffering and persecution into a wider global perspective. See, everyone wants to be a disciple of Jesus, yet we don't talk about how pretty much all of them were martyred. <laughs> Hung upside down, sorry, crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die in the same manner as his saviour. Stoned to death, stabbed, beheaded. That was the end that many of Jesus' disciples were met with. I know this is really fun and lighthearted. Um, <laughs> again, it's not my intention to cause offence to anyone but I do think that these are sobering moments that we as the church need to acknowledge. Amen? Because it goes hand in hand with revival. Let's talk about the non-physical side of persecution. So this is the emotional side, the spiritual side. This is very real. And in the same way that persecution is growing in non-developed countries, I believe persecution is also increasing here in the United States. It may look a lot different here than it does over there, but it is still alive and it is still happening here in the United States. In the last decade, social media has propelled verbal and emotional persecution against believers. If you stand up in your high school class and confess that you're a Jesus follower, Chances are you could lose some friends, maybe even more followers. If we speak of Jesus in our workplace, we may be afraid that we are labeled as narrow-minded or judgmental. When we stand for righteousness, persecution will come. And maybe you took a stand against abortion and received some backlash. I did. Maybe you're standing up for our education system and for the radical sex education agenda to not prevail in our public school system. Let me tell you, you will get pushback. Whenever you choose to take a stand for the gospel and a stand for righteousness, you will be persecuted. 
but count it all as joy, for great is your reward in heaven. I remember one time I preached a message and I was a, um, I was a new communicator. You know, when you, you start a church, we didn't really have uh, the luxury in a way. There's pros and cons to it all. And I realize how blessed we are. I want to say that. But, but I, as a new communicator, as a new preacher, didn't have the luxury of preaching to 10 people in my living room to develop my messages. <laughs> I think the first time I preached for, for Bethel, Austin, there was about 70 people. And then there was about 120. And pretty soon there was 400. <laughs> pretty soon we were streaming online. And I remember I said something. I was, I was preaching and having come from the church that we've come through and having been through the ministry school, I had all the context in my head. I just didn't give as much context when I was preaching. And I said something that in my mind, it made a lot of sense because I knew all the context behind it. <laughs> but when you remove the context, it could have been taken a very different way. And it was. And can I tell you, <laughs> again, I, I hesitate to even say this because this, doesn't feel like persecution compared to what some are enduring right now. But the hate and the malice that I received, thousands of comments. False preacher, false teacher, false prophet, false whatever. The saddest part in all of this was that it was from other Christians. And I tell you, I never wanted to get on stage and preach again. I'm like, well, if I can't be perfect, and I just know I'm not, if I can't be perfect, I don't want to get up there and make another mistake. The level of hate, the comments, People literally wishing that my children would get sick and die. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> People are mean. And it sent me in a spiral. I spiraled and I was like, God, I, this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. There are some things that I'm like, I will stand and fight on the topic of women preachers. I just will. I I'm passionate about it. I've read my Bible. I've studied this subject. So there are some things that I'm like, oh, I will die on that hill. <laughs> but there are some other things that I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't, this feels too hard. Can I just like be released from this calling and go up to the mountains and not talk to anyone? Do you ever feel like that? I'm like, I could totally be a homesteader just like disconnected from society. I could even call it like dismantling my faith if I wanted to be trendy. <laughs> Sorry. That was a low blow, I realize. <laughs> but it is hard, 
right? It's hard when you take a stand for righteousness sake. It's hard when you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, it is part of our mandate and part of our call. And we do need to ask ourselves if we have no persecution in our life, then where in our lives are we taking a stand for righteousness? Because at the end of the day, you aren't living for an audience on social media. You aren't living for the approval of your family. You are living for the audience of one. First Peter 4, 12 through 14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you. Do not think it strange. As though something strange has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. Here is the good news, that there is strength that is found in persecution. Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, there must be the weakness of man felt, recognized, and mourned over, or else the strength of the Son of God will never be perfected in us. The Apostle Paul went as far as to say in 2 Corinthians 12.10, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecution. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only so, but when we glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Maybe some of us don't have enough hope because we haven't learned to persevere. May we have the perseverance, character, and hope that so many of our brothers and sisters live in and the peace that comes from fellowshipping with Christ in that place. Here's the good news. You ready? Yes, we're all ready for some good news. (laughs) God is building His church and people are coming to faith even in hostile environments. Afghans, Kurds, Iranians, the world watch list shows once again and that against all odds, the church is active and alive. While persecution is intensifying, stories abound of resolute faith and steadfastness in the face of opposition. The light keeps shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overpowered it. God's faithfulness remains as a beacon even in the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian. God is still moving. And we've read the end of the book, He wins. 
right? He wins. We win. How? I like the practical side of things. How? How do we get excited about persecution? How do we enjoy persecution? How do we find hope? How do we find joy in the midst of persecution? Because it's one of those easier said than done, right? Because when you're in the midst of it, the last thing you're thinking is like, I'm so excited. Bring it on. Give me more. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I once asked Bill Johnson, um, whom I just have so much love and respect for, he faces quite a bit of persecution. He's had stories written about him. He has comments all over social media. Um, He has entire books written about him, how he's a false teacher, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on. And I said to him when I was, dealing with this, I'm like, this is like, feels like minuscule compared to the amount of persecution and pushback that you get. Like, how do you, how do you still love these people? Because I just want to lay hands on them, you know? (laughs) In a loving way, of course. (laughs) But I'm like, how? I don't know how to do this. And he said, you know what I do? He's like, I have a list of the top 10 people who are the main adversaries who are against me. The ones who have written books, the ones who have podcasts, the one who are publicly and very loudly criticizing him. He has their names in a list. He says, every time I take communion, I pray for them. I name them by name. I pray for their families. I pray that God would bless them and keep them. I pray for health over them. I pray for intimacy with Jesus over them. I pray that they would leave a legacy with their children of love and kindness. And he's like, and I pray until I can love. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) well, I have a long way to go. But I'm trying to do that and I'm trying to step into that more of like, okay, okay. And I, and I moved into this place where I'm like, I can truly say that the main instigator of what the backlash I received, I, I want the best for him. I want the best for him. And hey, I believe that his intention is to follow Jesus and to love Jesus. And in the midst, he may have either intentionally or unintentionally been malice in the way that he did it. But I want the best for him. I want him to keep loving Jesus. I want him to have encounters with the Lord. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And James 1.12, 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Persecution is real, but so is heaven. And if I have to take one to get the other, it's worth it. Hands down, it's worth it. I'm gonna finish by reading an excerpt. And then I'm actually gonna ask Michelle Lewis to come up and and lead us in a prayer for the persecuted church. Michelle works for IRIS, uh, a ministry that is based in Mozambique and in other countries throughout the world. But those stories that I was reading to you of the man who was separated from his family and found his young son killed, these are happening in Mozambique where the base of Iris is and the intense persecution and the stories that we hear from Heidi Baker and the others who have been there. They will both break your heart and give you immense gratitude. And so I'm gonna ask Michelle in a moment to come up and just lead us in a prayer. She has, like I said, she works for that organization for Iris. And so she gets to hear these stories all the time. She gets to be around these people. And when you've been around these people, there's no turning a blind eye. But this excerpt, I thought it appropriate given that tomorrow we get to celebrate Pastor Martin Luther King Jr. Amen. What an incredible man. But this is some of the things that he wrote on persecution. Some of my personal sufferings over the last few years have also served to shape my thinking. I always hesitate to mention these experiences for fear of conveying the wrong impression. A person who is constantly calls attention to his trials and suffering is in danger of developing a martyr complex and of making others feel that he is consistently seeking sympathy. It is possible for one to be self-centered in his self-denial. In his self, oh, and self-righteous in his self-sacrifice. So I'm always reluctant to refer to my personal sacrifices, but I feel somewhat justified in mentioning them in this article because of the influence they have had on shaping my thinking. Due to my involvement in the struggle for the freedom of my people, I have known very few quiet days in the last few years. I have been arrested five times and put in Alabama jails. My home has been bombed twice. A day seldom passes that my family and I are not the recipients of threats of death. I have been the victim of a near fatal stabbing. So in a real sense, I have been battered by the storms of persecution. I must admit that at times I have felt that I could no longer bear such a heavy burden and have been tempted to retreat to a more quiet and serene life. But every time such a temptation appeared, something came to strengthen and sustain my determination. I have learned now that the master's burden is light, precisely when we take his yoke upon us. My personal trials have also taught me the value of unmerited suffering. 
As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation. And we, friends, have the same two options ahead of us as well when we face persecution. Either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course, recognizing the necessity for suffering. I want you to hear that part. Recognizing the necessity for suffering. I have tried to make it a virtue, if only to save myself from bitterness. I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block and others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The suffering and agonizing moments through which I have passed over the last few years have also drawn me closer to God. More than ever, before I am convinced of the reality of a personal God. We get this invitation when we endure persecution. And just like Martin Luther King Jr., we have two options. It can either make us bitter or better. It can make us offended but why me, God, can make us entitled or it can make us grateful and it can push us into a joy unspeakable and an intimacy with Jesus that we will never taste of outside of partaking in His suffering. Amen. All right, Michelle, why don't you lead us in prayer? Can we all stand together? Like I mentioned before, it is my hope that even if this isn't very encouraging, that at least it will bring some light onto what persecution looks like for many believers. And it'll move us into that place of gratitude. It'll move us into that place of being inspired for us to stand right in a place of righteousness for the gospel. I don't know if you, thanks dad. <laughs> I don't know if you um, heard last night, but Lou Engel prophesied over Austin that it would be the place of the Elijah and the Jezebel showdown. You live in a city, if you haven't yet noticed, <laughs> that does not want you to stand boldly in your convictions of the gospel. But can I implore you to stand anyway and fight the good fight. And when persecution comes our way, let us rejoice that we get to know Jesus in that place. Amen. Amen. All right, Michelle.
Yeah, I actually just heard this testimony this week um, on, in Mozambique. It's with our farms, and they've been working with, there's 30,000 uh, displaced people that Iris is feeding every day. And so they're handing out a lot of supplies, and they were working with this uh, other church, and they said, we've had these nine-foot soldiers all in white, and they've come many times. They've come to help these nine nine foot soldiers and our the lady who was running our farms it was through translation she kept having to like what do you mean like there are no soldiers in this region that have white uniforms like I know all the soldiers you know the good ones and the maybe not so good ones um but she's like I don't know what to tell you but they're the color of milk and they're nine feet tall and they come and they help us so even in the midst of hardship God is moving physically moving so God we thank you for what you're doing and we lift up our brothers and sisters with hope with hope for a glorious church God we ask for angels on assignment these angels in white that they would come and they would come we ask for protection God, we ask that you would come and we, we speak peace where there's war. We speak, we speak prosperity where there is lack. We speak, we speak restoration where there is division, God. And we ask, Lord, that you would fall like never before on the persecutors. God, we lift up the persecutors. God, we ask for an encounter with the living God. We ask for a Saul encounter when Saul was on his way that you stopped him I am Jesus who you are persecuting it just takes one encounter and we lift up the persecutors God and we ask that you would intervene God like never before and God we pray for our brothers and sisters we don't forget them God we lift them up we surround them Oh, protect them, protect their families, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We remember that you are moving, and even when there's heaviness, there is still your glory that is falling, and you are still moving in these dark places. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are good, Jesus. We can declare your goodness over the nations. We can declare that you are faithful. And we can declare that the nations will rise to you and they will look to you, Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this city and across the nations, God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.